I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here with Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg, and she's the author of 16 books. As I say all the time, she's the subject of a documentary. She has uh, been the subject of a long radio series uh, until she became her own host of uh, this radio show and podcast. And uh, and uh, yeah, listen, so many people make excuses of not being productive and not getting things done. Well, and uh, this lady in uh, at at a senior age uh, became very prolific in uh, in media, and uh, she has uh, been the grandma Moses of media, and she's all over radio and uh, and and a documentary and. The books just continue to, uh, to come, and 16 with more coming. Uh, Frank McKay here, much more importantly. Dr. Weinberg, how are you? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Frank. I hope everybody in the, in the listening audience is, too, as well as you, naturally. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. Uh, a, lot of, a, a lot of change changes coming. You know, we, we went from uh, summer abruptly to fall here, and... Uh, you know, with all of these changes, you know it's uh, it, it's you know it's hard to keep up on what people are concentrating on. Uh, I imagine politics is is getting a little more notice now that um, now that we're getting a little closer. We're in October, getting a little closer to the the November election day, and so people are paying a little attention to there. And some things get pushed aside. Uh, for example, the U- Ukrainian war. And Putin, and and somehow or another, we have a very short attention span, and unfortunately for for folks in the Ukraine, um, people around the world, although they may be sympathetic, they forget that they're sympathetic if that's not right in their face. Would you agree with that? Yes, <laughs> yes, that's uh, that's one reason why I picked this topic. I could have talked about the uh, debate between our governor Greg Abbott and. Uh, and the man who is running for that position of governor, uh, Beto O'Rourke, it took place last Friday. And very interestingly, uh, uh, Abbott's side was able to dictate the conditions. And so it was held on Friday at 7 o'clock and, um, it, it, with no, no audience present and only one hour. Uh, and uh, so people were watching, uh, probably watching a game of some sort at 7 o'clock on Friday, or they were still eating dinner. Uh, and the fact that there was no audience, no uh, listening uh, live audience, that meant that uh, there was no, um, let's say, spirit of of the uh, listener uh, watchers uh, to bounce off of. I think uh, uh, any actor or any politician desperately needs uh, a public in front of him or her uh, to uh, uh, to encourage or discourage, but it, uh, certainly to, uh, to notice, uh, to understand the drift of, of sentiment and so forth. So it's a real blow not to have anybody there. Uh, and so it did affect the passion and, uh, with which both men spoke. Uh, and I think I may talk about that at, at length the next time. But this time um, I got caught by an article by Thomas Friedman. Uh, now, Thomas is somebody who uh, is a moderate commentator on things, tending to be liberal but not extreme in any way, usually very sensible. And so whenever I see an article of his, I read it. And the article uh, he wrote this time is called uh, Putin's War is the Crime Against the Plant. And after reading this, I was so convinced and so uh, impassioned by what he had to say that I thought it should be spread further. And so that's what I'm going to do today. Mm. Yeah, I always thought of uh, Friedman as being very, um, uh, very moderate, to be honest with you, uh, you know, like very, uh, very down the road. Um, I, you know, maybe I read him uh, differently, but I, I think he's pretty independent, to be honest with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think he would be a, a close cousin of yours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and actually of mine too. That's why I always seek him out if I can find him. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'm going to give some personal history of me and the environment. Yes. Uh, uh, by naming a few things that brought my attention to the environment, and the first one was Rachel Carson's Silent Spring, uh, and then there was Ewell Gibbons stalking. Uh, then also Organic Gardening Magazine that was published from 1942 to uh, 2014. And I'm not sure why it died, because it was it's more relevant now than ever. Uh, and that was our reading material in, uh, in the 60s mainly um, that brought uh, me certainly to consciousness of what was happening in our environment. Mm. And I remember, however, that I was conscious of the degradation of the environment in 1940 when uh, I was a child in the back seat of our two-door two Ford sedan on our way from New Mexico to Long Island to visit Uncle George Byam. Hmm. I remember being shocked at, at the amount of trash that had accumulated on the shoulders and the fences along uh, U.S. Highway 66, which was then the main highway linking the two oceans. There was no effort to clean up the highway, and so uh, any food wrapper or any other garbage that was tossed out the window just stayed there. And, uh, and it was piling up, and I noticed how horrible that was. And what, why didn't people take better care of this beautiful land of ours? And I was very indignant about it as a child. Uh, but when I became more, uh, let's say, uh, more maturely concerned about the accumulating pollution in this country, uh, we were living in Rochester, New York, um, and that was probably around 1963. And uh, once I read Rachel Carson, Newell Gibbons and Company, I immediately began to recycle paper, metal, and plastics, and I began a vegetable garden. And I grew just about everything we needed. I grew string beans and peas and lettuce and radishes, carrots and eggplant, tomatoes, and even potatoes. And I learned quickly that you have to separate to, uh, tomatoes from potatoes because they're close cousins and they trade diseases among themselves. So if uh, the tomatoes get some kind of a, uh, a fungus, then it will jump immediately to the potatoes uh, with devastating results. Uh, so um, so I had the, the potato plot uh, as far away from the, uh, the garden as possible, and we had half an acre so that we could separate it quite, quite a distance. And I was extremely successful in New York uh, upstate, uh, where the growing season is pretty short. I found out that you can't grow, um, uh, you can't grow, uh, oh, come on, the word has suddenly gone out of my, Potatoes my head. Tomatoes? Uh, what is a special uh, Cajun vegetable? Uh, uh, not a cayenne pepper, right? Uh. No, not uh, not pepper, not uh, the Cajun or rhubarb like or uh, uh, no, no, it's a vegetable. A vegetable. Uh, it looks, uh, it's a long, slender pod. N not a uh, zucchini. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, never mind. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the growing season was too short for it. I'll think of it. It'll come to my mind, of course, in a minute or two. Um, but. Um, here in San Antonio, I have not planted the vegetable garden. I've planted flowers, but, uh, but I can't get used to the fact that to grow vegetables here before the heat uh, gets so hot that it will fry them in the ground. Uh, you have to plant in January, and uh, uh, usually uh, uh, the uh, the freeze that comes in the, in midwinter in 
Texas uh, will come in early January. So by late January, you're pretty safe to start planting. Well, I cannot get used to planting anything in January. I'm sorry. <laughs> I spent tw- <laughs> spent 28 years in Rochester, New York, gardening successfully, planting in late April or May at the earliest because it often snowed up into June. Um, so, um, so no vegetables here, uh, unfortunately. Um, but in any case, um, uh, I do I do uh, recycle. I started recycling, of course, back in the '60s, and I still do as much as possible. Um, even though they're telling me that plastics are simply dumped into the ocean. They have told us uh, to uh, to recycle plastics, and they've even stamped all the plastics with the category of plastic, so you can uh, sort that out if you wish. But apparently they're just taking it out on a scowl, and into the go- ocean it goes, and it causes birds and fish that mistake it for food to starve to death. So I think uh, we're carrying right on with our destructive habits, despite the fact that we know better. Well, Friday's Express News, which is our one uh, newspaper and a, and a good one, a fairly balanced one, I would think, uh, although the uh, right-wingers are constantly complaining that it's too left-wing. Anyway, it brought the op- opinion piece by Thomas Friedman. Um, and uh, the article, uh, I'll name it again, Putin's War is a Crime Against the Planet. The article is a wake-up call that should be heeded, but I'm afraid few will read, and so that's why I'm talking about this subject today and particularly what he has to say about it. It starts off making the point that Putin's idiotic self-serving war to gobble up Ukraine is diverting worldwide attention from the urgent task to mitigate climate change while there still may be time. Raging wildfires in any dry climate anywhere in the world, and that includes France, for instance, um, are, uh, are burning up the trees that we are in desperate need of preserving. Uh, Then we have heavy rains, record-breaking rains that cause uh, flash floods that wipe out towns, and that happened in Germany uh, recently. The whole town just simply wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, Then we have the record-breaking drought that we here in San Antonio are still suffering from. Uh, the heavy rains dump up to a foot of water or more in only a few hours, and there's no no way the earth can absorb that. So, of course, it causes general flooding um, and general misery. Uh, well, take Pakistan first. Yeah. Uh, people are saying, oh, yeah, uh-huh, about Pakistan, but that's millions of people. Yeah. Nowhere to go. There's no that they can take refuge from, and uh, I don't even hear see a single news item about Pakistan. They haven't changed. So we have also, in addition to record-breaking temperatures all over the earth, including Europe, uh, we have record-breaking lows in the winter time. So uh, climate change doesn't mean necessarily only climate heat. It is uh, it is like a pendulum swinging back and forth depending on where the sun is with relation to the planet. And we have a record exceeding hurricanes, which we have done uh, a day or two ago. We're here nothing but uh, what was happening in, uh, in Florida and uh, uh, in uh, Georgia and South Carolina and so on. And by the way, What's happened there in New York? Has that uh, hurricane gotten up there? No, just very. We got little remnants of, of Ian, but just very little, just some rain. Uh, well, that was fortunate this yeah. time. It wasn't uh, something horrible uh, like the the one that flooded Manhattan. 
No, uh, Superstorm Sandy back 10 years ago was devastating to New York, and it wasn't even a hurricane. They just called it a superstorm. By the way, uh, not that it's relevant, but was the vegetable you were thinking of okra? Okra. Okra. Yeah, it was just driving me crazy, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, the the growing season in upstate New York is not long enough for okra to set its blossoms and produce its pods. And I found that out after a lot of work plants that, of course, never came to fruition. Yeah, okra. (laughs) A lot of people don't like it because it's slimy, but uh, if you know how to cook it, you can make a really nice dish out of it. Uh, anyway, to get back to the weather, <laughs> tornadoes, <laughs> tornadoes, for instance, have become huge and devastating, far more than they ever were. Uh, I remember as a child, I went I went to high school in up, upstate Arkansas in the Ozarks, um, and that's t- uh, Tornado Alley, and a tornado that uh, skipped along. Um, in a, in a straight line from our farm, uh, so 20 or 30 miles further east, it destroyed the uh, town of Salem. And it landed, for the one, one of its bounces, it landed about 200 yards beyond uh, our, ta- our house and our farm, our barn, and so on. And I was hanging out the window. I was 12 years old at the time, hanging out the window. <laughs> to watch, um, and of course, I probably would have been killed if the thing had uh, landed a little, a little sooner. Um, but uh, I watched it tear up the uh, the forest and and remove our fence up there uh, to go to go on to uh, to further destruction a little further along. Um, but the tornadoes now um, uh, rip up everything in their path a mile wide. Some of them are. Uh, so they are tornadoes that we have never seen before. So climate change is here, and yet we seem to ignore it and pretend that everything's normal as long as we can carry on our own daily lives as usual. We don't give uh, two thoughts about climate change. Uh, we fuss about the heat, of course. Um, but uh, there have been hot summers before. Uh, so we don't uh, we don't put very much emotional energy into thinking about the climate and what we need to do about it. But then getting back to Putin's war, what does that have to do with all of this? Friedman argues that Russia's attack on Ukraine is the real World War One, since ver- virtually everyone in the world will be touched by it economically, geopolitically, and environmentally. And he then says, uh, in the farthest reaches away from uh, Russia and Ukraine, the virgin forests, for example, the Amazon, the Congo River Basin, the Canadian forests, and even Russia itself and its forests, and Ecuador, which has the most biodiversity of any place on Earth. These are the world, this is Friedman speaking, uh, paraphrased by me, these are the world's life support system um, because the trees and the plants sponge billions of tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and they generate oxygen, they filter fresh water to drink, and the Amazon in particular, unfortunately, is right now under huge pressure uh, from everywhere, especially from Brazil's president, Jair Bolsonaro, who would happily cut the whole thing down to favor oil drilling, agribusiness, and grazing land for the cattle industry. And Putin's war has set off a cascade of negative effects, since Russia itself is a major fertilizer, oil, and, along with Ukraine, a wheat producer. And not only wheat, but barley, sunflower seed oil, and corn. But once cut... um, um, uh, 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 sorry, I'm I'm reading uh, I'm reading along my uh, my 
summary here. But once a war puts pressure on the forests as an alternative source for lumber, uh, and once cut for all the other businesses mentioned above, that is the oil agribusiness, that is wheat and corn and so forth, and the cattle business, um, Bolsonaro is recorded as having said, and this sort of epitomizes the attitude of the business community as a whole, and I'm quoting now, this crisis is a good opportunity for us. Where there's indigenous land, there are riches beneath it. And then he passed legislation to enable companies to mine potassium from indigenous people's forests so that Brazil can make more fertilizer for itself. And so this is this is what's happening to the Amazon. Huge tracts are being cut down and or burned every day, and which really frightens me, because that forest, above all other forests in the world, I think, is uh, is essential for keeping the planet alive. Now the Ukraine, I did not know this. The Ukraine has huge tra tracts of ancient forests that have been left untouched until this war started. But Russian military activity has damaged 900 protected natural areas and an estimated 1.2 million acres, or about 30% of all protected areas of the Ukraine. Russia and Belarus and Ukraine account for a quarter of the worldwide timber trade last year, and I didn't know that. Yeah. But Kiev lifted protection to raise money for the war. So illegal, uh, illegal logging, actually, and forest mismanagement were already rife. We hear uh, about corruption in, in Ukraine and uh, uh, pilfering lumber from the uh, from the virgin forest was one of those uh, uh, illegal industries that uh, that were thriving in Ukraine before the war. And now, with Russian tanks knocking down uh, the trees and going through the forests and so on, devastating, um, we have a lot more destruction of of that uh, natural, uh, you might say. Uh, carbon dioxide sink. So, although we'd been making progress over the last half century, we've uh, almost doubled worldwide protected land, but now, out of nowhere, one individual, one man, just think about this, one man has uh, launched a murderous war uh, in the heart of the world's breadbasket, and suddenly the progress on norms and laws risks going up in smoke right along with the forests. And here I'm quoting uh, Thomas Friedman, which is why Putin's war is not just a crime against Ukraine and humanity, it's a crime against the home we all share, planet Earth. Mm. Unquote. That's uh, apropos. Very good. Uh, you know, look, uh, when we uh, we take our eyes off of uh, off of the big picture, uh, it's uh, uh, you know it, it's so easy for the the villains, the real villains, to get away with everything they're doing. I was going to say get away with murder, yeah. get away with mass murder in this particular case, and and everything else. But you know, sometimes we lose track of that. Uh, I have. Uh, I have the habit. I'm in the habit of of recycling. So when I drive mm -hmm. around, I I don't throw out my my plastic bottles. I save them and I wait for a um, you know proper dispensary you know to to put it in. And I hope that it's not going into the sea or I hope it's not going into a landfill. So I hold on and then when I see something, I I put it I put it away. Uh, when I was mm -hmm. in the Ukraine. I uh, I had a funny moment with uh, these Polish troops that I was get uh, I had gotten friendly with. They were right on the border of uh, of one of the uh, well the Polish this Polish town was right on the border of the Ukraine, and I was kind of going back and forth into it, and I got friendly with uh, you know all the troops there, and I was talking to the ones that spoke English, and 
I wasn't thinking, but I I noticed there was a uh, a recyclable uh, recyclable uh, container by uh, by the train station that was there, and I I said oh, and I kind of I kind of pulled up and double parked, left my car running, and they were all there watching me, and I emptied out all the plastic bottles that I had, and I put them in the uh, um, I put them in the recyclable uh, bin, you know, that I didn't see many of them around. So I figured, let me take advantage of this opportunity. And then the one guy yelled over, I think his name was Martin, if I remember correctly. Um, and he was, uh, he was the equivalent to a, uh, a captain in, uh, in the uh, army. I, I, I forget if they, they actually call it like captain, the, the Polish word for captain or, or whatever. And he yelled over uh, and they laughed. And uh, somebody yelled something over to me um, in, in Polish, and they all kind of laughed. And I knew him. I knew the guys, and I, I smiled, and I waved back. And I said, what did he say? I said to this guy, Martin. And he said, um, he said, uh, he said that's good. Uh, no, good for you, Frank. He said, we, too, are worried about the uh, saving the planet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was being, you know, they were kind of being facetious. You know, like in other words, you know, you're worried about recycling right now. And, uh, you know, we're worried about the third world war happening here. But they all kind of got a kick out of it, you know. And, uh, you know, they weren't being, you know, they weren't being malicious. They just, they kind of got a kick out of me, you know, recycling when, you know, when we're (laughs) on the verge of World War Three, You know, but they said, yeah, uh, we too are worried. We too are worried about saving the planet, you know, so. uh, (laughs) Yes, yes. But but yes, under those circumstances, it was it is comic in a way, and yet right. yet you were teaching a lesson, yeah. and they they recognized it. So yeah. uh, so that's a very nice story. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I, I I wouldn't do it in front of them again. You know, like I'd be very careful doing it. You know, it was uh-huh. like I, you know, I was pretty careless the way I was doing. You know, no, these guys. And by the way, there were some tense moments uh, there. Um, like the, uh, the border, uh, not far from there got bombed and, um, and I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in that area when it got bombed, but they were telling me about it. I, I don't know whether it was after this or prior to this, that it was going on, but these guys were worried that, you know, that world war three was going to, was going to break out any moment. And it was yeah. you know, kind of like that, but you know, look, uh, Putin understands, I'm sure he understands and is. And his advisors understand that the, the people have a short attention span. And as long as nothing overly crazy happens, you know, you know, we don't talk about genocide or we don't talk about, you know, whatever, um, that we're going to uh, we're going to take our eyes off of uh, off of Putin and Putin's going to do uh, what what he wants to do. But Friedman's right on in that article. That was a great article. <laughs> yes. Yes, and I think he is calling our attention back to something that uh, that we've forgotten about a little bit. We're, of course, all caught up with the uh, upcoming midterm election and uh, what all that uh, entails, which is uh, exceedingly important that we keep our eye on that. But we must also keep our eye on the larger issues and uh, I think that those of us who instinctively, by now, after years of having done it, uh, recycle uh, constantly, just automatically, I think that's a very good thing. If, if industry will actually do its its part, which is to go ahead and re uh, repurpose all uh, all the raw material, which these uh, bottles and uh, and uh, paper, pl- not paper, well. Not paper plates, but plastic plates and uh, knives and forks and straws and all the rest of it uh, furnish for them. If they would actually use these, and granted, it may be expensive. It may be difficult. Uh, but uh, if it's saving the planet, it's worth it. So I'm just hoping that the industry will actually do what it has promised. So recycling metal, recycling glass, and recycling uh, plastic, and of course paper, and they are actually doing that. Uh, our our newspaper, for instance, is on recycled paper, so it's mm-hmm. uh, 
a darker shade. Uh, it is not exactly white, and it's not exactly gray. So yeah. <laughs> somewhere between tan and gray. I, I don't know if we ever did a show on on this subject uh, in particular, but uh, someone had once discussed the um, and maybe it was you and I, and if not, uh, I, I'll try to remember who it was. But that out there in the ocean, out there in the ocean, there is a plastic sheet of uh, of collected, you know, uh, plastic that is just kind of you know magnetized together or whatever. However, it got together, yeah. but the size of Texas, you know, your home yes. state. Have you heard that? Have we talked about that? Oh yes, it's it's a fact. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be called the Sargasso Sea, and it was an area where uh, the winds, there were no winds there, and ships that got in there were becalmed uh, until the occasional very rare wind would come along and they would be saved before they died. Um, but uh, uh, it was a, a place where seaweed would accumulate. Uh, and, uh, and now... Uh, it seems like the center of a maelstrom or something like that. Uh, there are currents all around except there um, in the middle. And there all of the, the debris uh, that's pushed around randomly by the, by the currents uh, ends up in this calm area. And it, it has grown and grown and grown until, uh, as you say, it's the size of Texas. Um, and there is one little outfit that I have read about, one little business that has gone uh, uh, steaming out there uh, to gather up whatever plastic is readily recyclable, and they are taking it back and recycling it. So, that would be great. So that's that's like trying to empty the ocean with a teaspoon, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> But still, but it's something, you know. Something. It's, yeah, you know, my uh, my son and his robotics team. When you know, now he's in college; he's in his third year of college. But my son, in uh, you know, as a as a ninth grader, he and his uh, his fellow um, robotics uh, members, and he's uh, you know highly intelligent kids. Uh, they um they invented a plastic bag that uh, that dissolves within uh, a week or so and it, it dissolves in the uh it would dissolve in the stomach of a sea turtle now the the logic behind this is that the um uh the the plastic bags or, uh, to a sea turtle looks an awful lot like jellyfish and jellyfish are uh are what sea turtles eat so when they see um uh, when they see these plastic bags they eat them, they can't digest them, and they get wrapped up in their intestines, and they die. You know, so these yep. plastic, you've heard that before, right? You've heard that yep. whole concept. So uh, they invented a, a plastic bag, um, you know, and, you know, I, I can't imagine they're the only ones that thought of it, but they won, they won uh, uh, you know, a national contest with this, mm -hmm. uh, this invention. Um, and, it, uh, you know, to me, I thought it was, uh, it, it was pretty eye-opening. And, you know, maybe that's where we're going to get rid of some of these things. We're going to we're going to create things that I know there's no plastic bags anymore on Long Island. They're all uh, they're all paper at this point. We're not using plastic. Uh, I imagine uh, uh, I, I imagine Texas is not, you know, no offense, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Texas was using asbestos bags. You know, I can't imagine they're big on the uh, um, they're big on the environment there. But maybe I'm maybe I'm being too hard on on Governor <laughs> Abbott. Um, no, yeah. you're not. <laughs> <laughs> Asbestos bags or something, you know, he wouldn't care, you know. But I I shouldn't say that. But uh, you know, I just can't imagine uh, there being a plastic bag issue there. Um, look, it's uh, where do you think we're going uh, as a society with, uh, you know, and and keeping Friedman's. Um, uh, article in mind is uh, his piece in mind um where do you think we're going both as a uh, community being behind uh the ukrainians and and for how long and uh where are we going with the environment as a society yeah well that's up for grabs i think 
I'm just hoping, and I think that as long as we have a democratic government in power, so if we have another demo, if the if the Democrats retain the presidency, and perhaps retain the House and maybe get the Senate. Uh, I think we will move forward on uh, all of these fronts. We will continue <clears throat> continue supporting Ukraine. We will uh, continue uh, our works uh, for uh, for the environment, for uh, uh, to try to mitigate uh, global warming and climate change. Um, but if not, uh, I think we're going to be in trouble because. Uh, the immediate needs of business um, will be uppermost, and uh, and uh, so the some of the worst instincts possible, uh, such as cutting down the Amazon forest, uh, and if Bolsonaro is reelected, and he's up for reelection also, um, uh, if he is reelected, then uh, farewell most of the Amazonian forest, which has protected us over the many centuries. Uh, so it really depends on a lot of politics right now. And so that is why we have to keep our eye on what's going on at the ballot box. And for heaven's sake, everybody get out and vote. And I will not say how to vote, but vote, because that is your voice. And it will be heard. And if you don't vote, then don't gripe about what happens uh, as a consequence of your sitting on your hands. Yeah. I, uh, I, I always use the expression uh, that the world is run by those who show up. And if yes. you, uh, you know, if, if you don't show up to vote, uh, don't don't expect to have any say in this world. And uh, unfortunately, um, unfortunately, a lot of people choose not to show up, and then the ones that are motivated um, will get the uh, will will get all of the the reward, and their reward is uh, is electing their people. and And guess what? Um, you know, their people uh, may not be the best people to run the uh, their agenda. May be much different than than yours, but you don't have a complaint to make if. Uh, if in fact we have a, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a, a I would want to say lazy or an apathetic, how about that, apathetic um, uh, electorate and and sitting on their hands, as you put it. Right. Yeah. Yes. It, uh, people people who do not go out and just sit by and and bitch about it. Yep. <laughs> Are to blame for what happens because they were not participating. They're not uh, moving out of the uh, out of the couch in order to go and do their duty as a citizen. Yeah, uh, very, yeah, very. Uh, I don't know what the the word is, but you know, apathy uh, sets in. Uh, how are you? Uh, how are you feeling coming towards this Beto O'Rourke? Um, a challenge. Uh, you know, a week ago, um, you were looking at polls. Maybe it was two weeks ago that he was about five points behind. And he uh, still is. He's still well. If he's in striking distance, he's got. He has a. He has a real shot to do something. Right, and unfortunately, this uh, debate would have been had had he had the chance actually to speak to a large audience. Uh, even though it might not have been a live audience. But Friday at 7 o'clock in the afternoon, come on. Yeah. With no live audience, only on one station, CBS, I believe it was. Um, and uh, locally, that was just one station. Yeah. And uh, people had hundreds of other stations to tune to if the old oh, for heaven's sake, this is a political thing, and they'll turn it off and go to the nearest game to watch. And that is what happened to this debate. Yeah. And the Republicans who set set the program and the conditions thereof knew that. And so there was no bump in the polls for uh, for uh, Beto. And uh, the, the contrast, I watched the whole thing, and the uh, the contrast between the two was pretty sharp. Uh, Beto always kept within his time limits. 
which were pretty short and and pretty um, harsh. Uh, so uh, if he went over even a second, he was uh, interrupted. Uh, Abbott could go over um, for several seconds uh, without being interrupted, and I got uh, quite annoyed about that. Um, Beto had succinct and intelligent and logical statements that he made in answer to the questions. Abbott... Um, Neandered, and his his uh, answers were not logical, uh, and so I thought. Uh, I mean, they they did make sense if you thought about them, but uh, but oftentimes they didn't quite make sense, and so I thought that uh, uh, the fact that that Abbott is not a good debater, he's not a debater at all, uh, showed very strongly during that encounter. And so it was a very good thing on the Republican side to see to it that nobody was really listening. Uh, But I thought that uh, Beto uh, did a better job. Uh, In fact, I thought he won the debate, but then, of course, that's the side I'm on. Uh, People were hoping that he would say something uh, outrageously left-wing, that could be used against the uh, the whole thing, the party and uh, and him in particular, and he he did not. Uh, they asked him if he wanted to um, uh, to take people's guns away. For instance, are you are you going to take away the uh, the AR-15s? And uh, uh, he said, uh, "What I'm going to do if I become governor is raise the uh, uh, the age." A legitimate purchase to 21 from 18, and then Abbott came back saying this: "This is against the Constitution." And Abbott uh, Rourke simply answered that by saying, uh, "I would try and see where he got, whether it was against the, the Constitution or not. We shall see." <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, and so on. I mean. Uh, uh, Abbott came back with the uh, with the stock Republican answers, which often were no answers. Uh, and when asked, when Abbott was asked about doing something to help Uvalde, uh, and why he had not even replied to their pleas to raise the age of, uh, of legitimate purchase of an AR-15, uh, he simply started talking about mental health. Hmm. and saying that he had raised uh, the funding for mental health by $1 billion, I think he said, over the last three years. Um, and, uh, uh, and Beto replied that he had also taken, uh, he, he has spent $4 billion to send the National Guard to the border, hmm. where the National Guard has no function other than to and take people into temporary custody and and take them to the border patrol. And so their function is actually a passive uh, thing. They're doing nothing to curtail uh, the incoming uh, hordes of people. Uh, And yet uh, uh, Operation Lone Star, which is what this is, this is called <laughs> taking these um, these uh, national uh, uh, these uh, soldiers down there to the border. Uh, there's a high rate of suicide because they've been taken away from their families and their jobs, and they're not being paid enough to keep families uh, alive. Uh, and so they are killing themselves because they're unable to continue their their uh, uh, their duty as uh, husbands and fathers. Uh, and their jobs, their real jobs, they may be losing them because they're not there. Uh, so anyway, uh, four four billion dollars is his cost, mm-hmm. the state, uh, to have these men down there who are doing virtually nothing, right. and you give one billion back uh, for uh, mental health over three years. I mean, this doesn't somehow balance out. Um, and so on. I mean, it was uh, the arguments went like that, and I thought it was a distinct win, but uh, it didn't get into the newspapers much uh, afterwards, and nobody said uh, anything about anybody winning. 
so there you are. It was an opportunity lost thanks to the good planning of the uh, uh, Republican programmers. You know, uh, my my one thought on on there being no audience. Uh, Abbott is uh, is you know doing a, a much a much more stoic um, you know conservative play right out of the uh, conservative uh, uh, Republican playbook. So the thing is, <laughs> you don't really need an audience for what he does. Beto is a showman. Beto is a uh, is a performer. And when he yeah. uh, goes, I mean, he'll jump on a table. He'll, but he he lives off of emotion. And if there was a yeah. crowd there getting excited, even if they were booing him, I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him get booed at crowds and excel at it. Uh, he seems to feed off of the energy of of the people. Yeah. So I think this was a big disadvantage, without even seeing what went on. But uh, but b- big advantage for for Abbott. I have to believe that he set that stage. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was carefully planned because uh, they knew exactly uh, that uh, Beto would uh, take off from the emotion of the crowd if there were a crowd. <laughs> so, But he did very well despite that. He was uh, logical, clear, uh, emphatic. <laughs> uh, he did not mince words. Uh, I just thought he did very well considering. Um, but it was not a th- one thrill after another, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, look, it is what it is. He's in striking distance, and we don't know what the margin of error is on that polling. You know, he could be within the margin of error. I assume it's three, you know, and on a probably a poll like that, it would be two or three. So that's even closer. If, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, the error could be in the other favor, too, but, uh, you know, he is somewhat close to the margin of error and I think he's in good position to do something and you don't know what'll happen um, by right. the way last uh, last thought on, on this and, and it's unrelated uh, but there is um, uh, you know there is signs that uh, former President Trump is taking shots at Ron DeSantis and um, what, what that would mean is that the uh, conservative Republicans are going to be fighting among themselves, or or something, uh, uh, you know, along those lines, and and that um, that's the last thing in the world Republican voters need or want is um, is uh, Donald Trump calling. Um, I think Ron DeSantis a fat idiot is. Uh, it came out. Did you hear that? No. I I believe he called him uh, in a book. Um, he was quoted as saying. That uh, that DeSantis is uh, is uh, fat and uh, and an idiot, um, I, you know, and you would think that Trump and and DeSantis would be on the same page, right? Yeah. So yeah, look that up when you get a chance. There's a, I think it was originally uh, brought up in the Atlantic, and I guess some people might say, well, that's um, that's lefties talking, but there was a you know there was a real um, you know kind of uh, you know, throwing around, and and if uh, if that uh, implodes somewhere around election day, and Beto O'Rourke is say two points down, who knows? Maybe the momentum or the split over there ends up, uh, you know, uh, discouraging some Republicans um, if they're fighting over Trump slash DeSantis, um, and and you know, not that DeSantis has anything directly to do with uh, with Abbott, but uh, but it does show that Trump is showing interest in running if he's attacking. The only reason he would oh, be, yeah. would, would attack uh, DeSantis or Abbott would be uh, if he's running, and uh, the Democrats would pray that he's, uh, he's running. And, um, you know, just uh, see if I have this, uh, the, the exact quote of what it is. Oh, yeah, Trump also said uh, that Mitch McConnell has a death wish and insults his wife, uh, Elaine Chao, or, or Chow, I believe it is. Uh, he called her China-loving wife. And by the way, she's from Taiwan. <laughs> I can't imagine she's a China-loving uh, woman if she's from Taiwan, right? Um, right. So anyway, that's uh, this is the type of thing. Uh, but uh, and the other, oh uh, yeah, DeSantis calls. Oh, DeSantis calls Trump a moron who has no business running for president. Former staffers say. <laughs> so you know, this is. Uh-huh. 
you know, this this would be, you know, music to the ears of Democratic voters uh, yeah. hearing hearing this go on. Anyway, any final thoughts? Oh, yeah, I think Trump is afraid to, uh, to well, he's afraid of these rivals that are popping up like uh, DeSantis, for instance. And so he's going to badmouth all of them. Uh, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to work. I think uh, I, I think there is a trend right now uh, to move away uh, in, among the Republicans also uh, to move away from Trump because uh, he has made some uh, serious mistakes in the people he has recommended to run for uh, senator, uh, for instance, in Georgia. Um, and uh, uh, with all the millions of dollars being poured into uh, Herschel Walker's campaign, um, he, he, Herschel is not is not beating. He's not winning. Um, right. And people are, are, I was watching a crowd, uh, if you can call it that, in front of Herschel Walker's podium as he was making a speech, a political uh, rally. And people were walking away in the middle of his speech. They were getting sick and tired of what he was saying, which didn't make much sense. And they were walking away. So um, my last word is uh, uh, let Trump uh, keep bad-mouthing people. Uh, let his bad picks keep making mistakes, and maybe we have a chance for winning the midterms, we being uh, people in the middle and slightly to the left. Uh, maybe we have some hope. Yeah, well, listen, a, a lot of people just said amen at the end of it, um, <laughs> as, as you said that, and, and we're going to see— uh, we're going to see how this whole thing plays out, uh, uh, you know, on Putin and, and the war. Everyone should, uh, you know, kind of at least keep half an eye on what's going on over there. It could be the biggest thing to change our world um, upcoming. So, you know, don't ignore it. And Thomas Friedman's article is excellent. And, Doc, congratulations. That was a, a wonderful uh, uh, lesson uh, that you kind of got out of all of that. So thank you. Uh, and take care, Doc. Yes, you too. And to everyone out there, we want to thank you for tuning in. We know you have a lot of options. Uh, Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on The Florence Weinberg Show. <laughs>